Hello and welcome everyone to today's episode of Accelerating Texas K-12 Education. I'm your host, J.W. Marshall. It's so glad to have you on this episode. And with us today, our guest is Dr. Quentin Shepard. He is the superintendent of Victoria ISD in Texas. Dr. Shepard, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. Thank you. All right. And we've got some big news to break on this podcast. But before we dive into that, uh, we always start our episodes by asking our guests, who are you? And what do you love about what you do? Uh, Quinn Shepard, superintendent, like you said, here in Victoria, Texas. This is my 18th year as a superintendent uh, in three different states. I've only been in Texas for the past four years, but um, loving it. My biggest regret is that it took me so long to get here. Um, before that, I was a high school principal. and Before that, I was an elementary principal. And what seems like almost a lifetime ago, I was actually a pre-K through 12 music teacher. So I got to see the three-year-olds and the 18-year-olds every day of the week, and it was it was just an absolute joy. Um, what do I love about, about what I do? It's that, you know, um, a normal day is such a fluid concept for a superintendent. Like a normal day can be anything from finding yourself on a playground with students to finding yourself with a group of teachers or finding yourself in front of a community uh, group or, or whatever it brings is always something exciting and different. Um, and then the opportunity, of course, to advance education, sometimes day by day, sometimes inch by inch, it feels like. But uh, you know, the, the, the dream for every superintendent is to be able to say more kids learning more. And that's uh, the greatest joy that you can possibly have. I love it. And the breaking news is you have a new book out. Um, talk to us a little bit about uh, the book and um, talk to us a little bit about why uh, you wrote this book. This, uh, this book really starts back at the beginning of my career, uh, 18 years ago. It, 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 when, when folks start as a superintendent, when you start in any position, frankly, you tend to play by the rules as they're handed down to you. It's, it's like putting on a suit, like this is the suit you've got to wear. This is how you do superintendency. This is how you do the principalship. And after a few years, and it does take a few years, you have to play by the rules. You have to figure out how to, how to do the job. But then after a few years, you, you discover that maybe that suit just doesn't fit quite right. And for me, it was really in my first superintendency, a small rural school in, in Illinois, where I, I would found myself bumping against the rules of being a superintendent and saying, but this is not the way that I want to lead. Like, this is not the way that my community wants me to lead. And it, it came to like questions like, oh, should we run a bond or not? And then the superintendent and a, and a group of board members or whatever make this decision and take it to the community. And then the community doesn't like it or they do like it, and you know, judging you and so on and so forth. And I'm like, everything that, that we're told to do in leadership, like there parts of it seem to work and parts of it seem to work, not work at all. And then we've seen over, over the course of time, um, more and more crowdsourcing opportunities, but also, what we've seen is this like massive explosion of ubiquitous uh, availability to information, right? Online, everybody's got Google in their pocket, so they have these answers to these questions. And somewhere along the line, in the last you know uh, ten years or so, I came to realize that Clayton Christensen had done some like seminal work in this area about differentiating between complicated and complex. And when you think about it as a superintendent, there are only two types of decisions that come to your desk. There's complicated and there's complex. Complicated, just the very quick on that, is complicated has just one right answer. There's one way to do it. and You usually have to have expertise to do it. Right? Disassemble an aircraft engine and put it back together. 
That's a complicated task. I'm not going to ask you to do that, JW, not, unless you Thank have a background. <laughs> but complex is inherently unknowable. So to tie this back to education, what's the best way to educate kids during a pandemic? I have an idea, you have an idea, and so does everyone else, right? That's complex. That is the very nature of a complex question. And so my leadership evolved or began to evolve around realizing that the language that we use around complicated, most of the literature, most of the leadership literature, I, I, I won't say all, but a great deal of it is about complicated leadership. It's all about hierarchies and power structures and how you get work done and how you get things accomplished and so on and so forth. And there's nothing wrong with all of that language because it needed to exist prior to the internet. That's like how organizations existed. But now there's this new way to exist. There's this new way to make decisions. And here's the rub. Leaders use the complicated language when they're talking about complex problems. And so when the community hears complicated language, for 30 years, they've been taught, oh, this is something you want me to judge you on. This is something that like you think you're competent. You think you have the answer. Great. I'm happy to judge that. So when you trot out your pandemic response plan, community says, no, you got it wrong because I did a Google search and I saw this at this school district. And that makes a lot more sense to me. And because the superintendent, the leader, didn't realize that this was a complex issue and adopt a different language, then they miss the opportunity to engage with the community. So essentially all of that to say that the book lays out essentially a need for language around complicated and complex. I, I also tie it to um, sort of the uh, transactional versus transformational. So, you know, trying to tie it to different um, leadership theorists. This is Heifetz and Linsky who talk about transactional versus transformational. And it's the same sort of concept. But if you use, my point is, if you use the same language for both styles of leadership, you're setting yourself up for failure and frankly, a missed opportunity. And the book is called The Secret to Transformational Leadership, uh, which makes much more sense now that uh, you've explained, uh, you know, kind of the backdrop of it. Um, what will a reader find is the, the secret or secrets, um, you know, as they're you know, going to be looking at this book soon? So, so the secret is, is actually as simple as you can possibly imagine. And at the same time, as difficult as you can possibly imagine. The secret is simple in that we need to adopt a different language. Like literally, we need to think about learning a new language, no different than you would learn a, a new language if you were learning Spanish or Portuguese. And, and recognize that, um, for instance, I've, I've talked a little bit just, just a second ago, I talked about hierarchies. Well, hierarchies are the language that you use when you're in the world of transactional, when you're in the world of complicated, right, and competence. You, you need hierarchies to get that type of work done. But opposite of hierarchies is networks. See, and hierarchies have power instructions connected to them right? And all these different dynamics and so on and so forth. And it just goes on and on and on and on. But networks have a different power dynamic. And networks can't exist in the same space that hierarchies work. So when superintendents are using this type of language, they're actually working against themselves. And so, so the book lays out that like, instead of this word, use this word. Instead of this word, use this word. And I use those to guide each of the chapters. And then under that, I build out the concept about why it's important. I love it. And is this book just for superintendents or is there something for, for everyone? What audiences, what would be the target audience as you were writing, you were really trying to speak the most to? Uh, anyone who perceives themselves to be a leader. And, and that could be everyone from 
classroom teacher through principal superintendent, and even outside of uh, education. I know this is an education podcast, but my hope in writing it was that anybody who who does any t- sort of leadership in the public sphere will will come to understand that this leadership is evolving and the language of leadership is evolving and we need to evolve with it or you're going to quickly find yourself out of a job. You also talk, I believe, in the book about uh, the practice of compassionate leadership, um, expressing vulnerability and how that can have a radical impact. Uh, talk to us a little bit about um, your approach to that as you were writing this book. Yeah, and so that's that probably has been the most recent um, growth in my own leadership, and especially through this pandemic. Some of my ideas about compassionate leadership—I've I've always known that this was true for me, but it's it's more true, and I have a deeper understanding of it now. I, I used to think of like compassion and empathy as sort of two sides of the same coin, but I've come to realize that, that that's not true. And the pandemic really brought that into full relief for a lot of people because essentially empathy is, is a feeling. I can feel empathetic to you know what's happening to you and then I can go on about my day, right? But compassion, if you break that word down, passion is to suffer, compassion is to suffer with. And so compassion is actually like empathy plus action. Like I'm actually gonna do something about this. I'm not just gonna experience this emotion with you but I'm going to enact change to try to make it better, right? And so compassionate leadership exists 100% in the world of complex. It exists 100% in transformational leadership, right? Um, Transformational leadership requires that the leader have enough vulnerability to go to the community and say, I don't know. And and how, how hard is that to go forward to the community? I'll give a couple of real world examples that have happened here in Victoria ISD, you know, we rezoned about two thirds of our district three years ago. We did not start with, here's a rezoning plan. We looked at enrollment trends. We looked at, you know, demographic, we looked at transportation. We actually went to the community and essentially said, not sure what to do. This is, this is a really complex issue because we're talking about rezoning, you know, like two thirds of the district. And we know this is going to be a real struggle. And so we're looking for a bunch of community members who want to come together and have some thoughts about this, but get really smart about it and make a recommendation to our community. And so we went through that process, but see, it's that vulnerability is the first step, but imagine a leader going out to their community, however many tens of thousands of people and saying, I'm actually not sure what to do. We did the same thing with a bond campaign, ran a successful bond campaign. We merged a bunch of campuses, closed four schools, did it the same way. And by and large, the community says, oh, wow, thank you. You value my opinion. Like, that's cool. Sure, I want to be a part of the process. And the, and the neat part about doing it that way, there's, there's, this, like, there's this weird psychological thing or behavioral thing that happens here. It, when I invite you into the conversation, when I say, you know, look, JW, we're going to rezone about two-thirds of the district, and we'd love to have you be a part of the process if you have a, a voice in, in this process and you're interested and so on and so forth. The first thing you do, because it's a complex issue, is you go out and you Google search, and you look at other districts and what they're doing, you become really smart. So, and then you show up at the table, and you show up, and this is really important, you show up to the table closed-minded and knowing. The first conversation, you you know what we should do because you've done your research, right? And so the okay. trick is, can I take your brain through a doorway from closed and knowing to open and learning? And the way that I do that is, well, let's introduce your thoughts to other thoughts and make sure that every voice in the room, hierarchies versus networks, every voice in the room has the same space so that every voice can be heard. And then we can collectively, like a sort of like a hive mind, like a beehive learning, we can move from closed to knowing to open and learning as a community. 
And then when we go forward to the rest of the community, everybody's had a chance to have ownership. That's a really, really big keyword, ownership versus buy-in, right? Buy-in, we have a plan. We want you to buy into it, but like ownership of the plan, you actually built this plan. <clears throat> and all of that, none of that can happen without vulnerability. And here's the last part I'll say about vulnerability, because I think it's the most important part. The pandemic brought this into, in, into, into uh, relief for all of us, is that you don't choose to be vulnerable. Like that's not a choice that you make. Like I'm gonna be vulnerable with this decision, but I'm not gonna be vulnerable with that decision because the truth is you're just vulnerable. You are, and you either just recognize that you're vulnerable or you're not. But the point is you are vulnerable 100% of the time, whether you, you tell yourself you are or not. And so just accept it, be vulnerable, get to work well and that'll uh, hopefully help you from being blindsided by something as well right because okay. you thought you had it figured out and you weren't being vulnerable but really you were anytime you put your yourself out there your ideas out there as a leader for sure yeah. um and, and that'll help you be more aware of uh of the possible responses um i want to keep going with the network idea because I've, I've got a good friend in education uh, thought leadership as well who often talks about uh, putting the public back in public education, getting everyone involved, local businesses, parents, you know, everyone. Uh, and that's, again, easier said than done, as I'm sure you can uh, tell many stories about. Um, but, it, but it does make sense, right, that you would want all the key stakeholders in the community involved in some degree to certain decisions, if not many decisions. Um, my question is, has that gotten easier or harder or just different through the pandemic? Because it does seem like uh, there's a lot of stories out there that um, everyone's had to pull together and that's brought a little more unity in, in some areas, whereas of course there's been division in others. How would you recommend leaders, you know, coming hopefully out of this pandemic at some point soon um, to, to recognize the evolution, I guess, of leadership in the current context of mm -hmm. things? Well, I, I just love that phrase, public, bringing the public back to public education. I've, I've written articles and given presentations by the same title. So, I mean, this that speaks my language for sure. Um, in some ways, I think the pandemic has made it easier just because folks did have to band together. But you see other examples where decisions were made that actually bifurcated communities, right, and created tremendous divisiveness. And, and again, I think it, it falls back to how those decisions were made. Um, it, it, it saddens me a bit that there isn't a theoretical framework like what I've tried to lay out or at least start in this in this book that would have allowed leaders to say at the onset, oh, this is complicated. And so the decision needs to be made this way. And this is complex. And so that requires a different decision-making skill set, different language, and different process. I, I think one of the greatest advantages that we had at Victoria ISD going into the pandemic, um, to, to, to your question about leadership, was uh, shortly after I, I came here four years ago, there was a conversation that I had with the board about my conception of how we should be doing leadership in the public space. And, 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 and I told my board, I, I believe very, very strongly in this. I, I experience has taught me this is where leadership is going. And I believe this is some of the best leadership that we'll do collectively, both from a governance and leadership um, perspective, uh, if, you're, if you're willing to get behind this. And so my board said, oh, that's really interesting. You know what we should do? We should codify that in policy. And so, like, let's actually write policy and pass a resolution that says, when it's a complex decision, we will go to the community first. And when it's complicated, the superintendent has a staff who does that work. 
And you know you've hit on something unbelievably powerful. When you're in a community forum group and there's like a hundred people in the room and we were talking to, to, to hearken back to the rezoning issue, we were talking about the rezoning and so on and so forth in different committee groups and community members are talking about it. And pretty soon they start talking about transportation routes. Well, maybe we should do this with the transportation route or whatever. And they, they start to get into the weeds a little bit. It was a community member who stood up and said, actually, I think we're getting into the complicated. And that's kind of the job of the staff. We need to keep ourselves around what's best for kids. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like this never happens anywhere. Like it was, it was revolutionary to me. And, and that's when you know you're on the right track. But again, having that policy in place is actually what made it easier for us um, to go forward with some really complex decisions in the district and the pandemic just reinforced what I know to be true. I love that. And, and not only is it reframing the language from complex to complicated, but it's educating everyone else so that you're speaking the same language, right? Because it's not enough for the leader to speak the, the correct language, right? Everyone else has to understand that language. And, and I imagine that's a bit of a challenge early on. What are some, uh, what's some advice you could give to a leader who says, okay, great. You know what? I'm going to get the book. I want to read it. I'm going to implement. Um, but how do we get everyone else on board? Yeah, I talked about that a little bit in the in the introduction of the book, and, and I, I explained that, like, we're at this, you know, leadership is constantly evolving, and this is not going to be the final answer. I hope that this advances the conversation just one step, and that other folks come along and kind of add to it or, or tear it apart. I'm fine with that, too. That, that perfectly suits <laughs> me. Better. That's, that's but they better, right? <laughs> um, but I think for the leader that wants to get started, just recognize that at some point in human history, there's a, you know, a bunch of folks sitting who'd been, who'd been, you know, hunting and gathering for a really long time. And then fire is discovered. And the minute that fire is discovered, we start to think differently. We start to think differently about every word we would use for eating. We think differently about every word we would use for hunting um, tools. Like every word has to live in an old paradigm and a new paradigm at the same time, but you need new language for this. And so the trick is just start using it. And know that you're going to make a bunch of mistakes up front and you're going to want to say something but not know the right word to say it. I think an e easier way that we, most of us who are of a certain uh, vintage would understand is if I said, if I said to you, hey, it, like we did say, hey, let's jump on a call. That has a certain understanding for us, but jumping on a call in the world we live in right now requires you to have an internet connection, right? And if I said jump on a call, to you in the early 90s, you would be talking about like, where's the landline phone and how do I connect it to the wall? You need a whole different language to jump on a call today than you did to jump on a call just 30 years ago. Yeah. And it's the same thing with leadership. They're like you just have to try this new language and you have to figure out these new words and then just start speaking that language and understand that you're going to make mistakes. And that's okay too. And, and, and to follow up on that question, we start speaking the language as leaders, do we also have to explain what the language means? Or do you think most people pick up on it pretty easily? No, I think, I think it, at least from my perspective, I think you have to explain that there's a different way to do leadership in these, in these two different, in these two different mechanisms or these two different styles. Like one is transactional because it has to be transactional. Like if I have to do a, a bond defeasement schedule, or if I have to do a high school schedule, 
Like that requires authority. It requires competence. You can't screw that up. You, you are going to be judged on whether you do that well or not. And that's okay. That's what competence is about. That's what judgment is about. So just being clear with people that there's, there's a part of our leadership that is competence driven that for decades, it's the only language we've spoken. But now I'm going to start speaking this new language when I'm facing the complex. I'm going to speak this new language when we're trying to be transformational as a district. And so that means I'm going to start using different words. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, we'll take that one step further. We're talking now about the, the complex. And are there some concrete tools that, that we can use to bring people together um, and speak yeah. to maybe some advice around that? Yeah, for sure. There's, there, we're using two tools right now at Victoria ISD. Um, and then there's and then there's two technology tools that is digital tools and then of course underneath that are things like task forces where you get community groups together and we even did those on on zoom um so i'll use the pandemic i'll, I'll talk about the two tools and i use the pandemic response plan as the example of how we did it um so we we use uh, thought exchange and so thought exchange is a digital tool that allows we ask a question, the district poses a question and then gives access to folks to go on any device that they have uh, and they can share their thought, right? And then after they're done sharing as many thoughts as they want to, they star the thoughts of others. So it's essentially crowdsourcing good ideas. Um, we, we love that because as I said a few moments ago, when I ask you your answer to the question I'm posing, I'm required you to be closed and knowing. I'm saying, please put your thought in this thing because you're the genius at this moment in time. And so you get to be the genius wherever you are at any time. It's asynchronous. So you can do it in the evening or in the morning or anytime. But then when you start starring the thoughts of other people, you move from close to knowing to open and learning. Now you're saying, oh, JW thought this. That's, that's really pretty smart. That's actually a five-star idea. And Q, he said, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm going to give him one star. Nobody should do that. Like, but that's cool because that's what crowdsourcing is. And so what we did with the pandemic response plan is we did a, 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 a thought exchange first. What's on your hearts and minds as we you know, enter the pandemic and so on and so forth, what's important to you? We did it with students and we did it with parents. And then beneath that, we ran these mega Zoom meetings um, and teachers, and we did it with teachers. And so the first then Zoom meeting that we had uh, during the pandemic, we had seven, well, it wasn't the first Zoom meeting, but as we were writing the pandemic response plan, 700 teachers logged on so that we could talk through kind of this is what we learned and then we're going to write uh, run another thought exchange behind that and then we literally literally cut and pasted the words that they shared with us into our plan so some teacher was reading the plan and was like oh i wrote that like that was mine and then we went to our kids and did the same thing we had over 400 kids help us write our pandemic response plan so then when we marched out in front of the community we we're like oh well, it was you know over a thousand people help us write this plan and it was mostly driven by teachers and students like and that was it was simple the community was like okay get to work <laughs> it was pretty That's simple good. the only the, the 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 other tool that we use and this is an important pivot um so thought exchange says quentin has a thought he has a question and he wants your thoughts on it right but it sort of presumes that like i know what the district wants to talk about and there's a certain there's a certain arrogance to that that makes me just the slightest bit uncomfortable so we also partnered with uh k-12 insight and we, we said to them, look, we want to, we want to turn the conversation backwards as well. So we want to say, look, community, you have the megaphone and you can talk about whatever you want to anytime. There's, it's literally no holds barred. You just, you just tell us what's on your mind. Um, and so we used the let's talk app through them. 
which is then it, it truly allows for two-way communication that I'm thinking about this thing and want your thoughts on it. But if somebody else is thinking about something different, we want to hear that. We want to hear that as well. So we're constantly trying to um, keep the flow of that conversation going all the time. Because at the end of the day, I want to have the relationship with my parents and community members. That's the same sort of relationship that, that folks have with their neighbors. Like it's just this like our best friends. Like when you're with your best friend, you don't formally start up a conversation and finish a conversation. You just sort of drop into the conversation mid-sentence, right? I want that relationship with my community. That's interesting. It's a little bit like Nextdoor. Uh, there's an app, you know, where neighbors yeah. can connect and share, you know, issues and share, you know, block party information. And, you know, it's a, a very transparent way to, to connect where you may not go door to door and greet your neighbors anymore, right? right. And so, but it, but it facilitates that uh, that dialogue and transparency, which is exciting. And it also, I know we kind of closed the chapter on vulnerability earlier, but it allows everyone to be vulnerable, right? If they're sharing oh. their thoughts on both sides to your questions and unsolicited, um, that's got to make it easier for the leaders to be vulnerable as well if everyone's kind of in that mode. Absolutely. And and that's the whole, that's kind of the whole point that when you're in that complex space, you, you just have to be, you just have to be vulnerable. You have to recognize the fact that you are vulnerable. You don't choose to be, you just are. All right. So now the where the rubber meets the road, the complex issue is at hand. Everyone is giving feedback, which is wonderful. And yet there's still a fair amount of division between everyone's feedback. Someone has to make the ultimate decision. Talk us through maybe that process when everyone's not going to be aligned and happy every time. How do you kind of work through taking all that feedback in the network and still, you know, being the one ultimately responsible for saying, okay, I've, I've listened to everyone, everyone shared, this is the direction we're going to go forward. It may not make everyone happy, but, um, you know, this is someone at some point has to make the, the tough decision. Yeah. Uh, so you said a keyword in there, feedback, but that's, but that's maybe the wrong word because feedback is typically a transactional word, right? right? Feedback is a confidence word. I have this thing. I want you to give me feedback on it. So please judge me as opposed to, Feed forward. The feedback tells you who you are, but feed forward tells you who you are becoming. So even how we structure the questions with our community and frame up the dialogue with our community gives us that advantage to answer your question to get to what I'm what I'm ultimately after, which is constructive depolarization. Finding the space where these two audiences have agreement. And I, I have I have not once run into an issue where folks don't have some common ground, some common agreement to start from. And the way that I typically explain this to people, I just use a simple thought experiment. I call it the cone and a cube, okay? So you remember a cone like the dunce cap or whatever, right? So imagine yeah. I've got a cone and then I put it inside a cardboard box, a cube. And then let's say I, I poke a hole in the top of it and I say, JW, look through the, that hole in the top of that and tell me what you'd see. And you'd say, I see a circle. Because if you're looking down on a, on a cone, that's what you see. Then if I punched a hole on the side of it and I asked somebody else, what do you see? They'd say, well, I see a triangle. And they're also right. If you're two people looking at the exact same thing from a slightly different perspective, and they're both right, and they're both wrong. And that is most of what the difficulty has been with how we frame conversations not just in the education space, but around the country. We frame these things and say that I'm seeing it from this perspective and I'm right. And that's the end of the story. 
you know, a different way to say it is, you know, we all look into the night sky and see the same stars, but we all see different constellations. Wow. I'm learning more, I think, than my audience today. So I appreciate it. And earlier when I said feedback, I, I intentionally didn't say buy-in, right? Because that wasn't the right language. Uh, but I, I love feed forward. I actually have not heard that term before and I'm going to start using it. Um, this is an amazing conversation that I wish could go on for another hour, uh, but we're running up on our time. Um, as my audience knows, we always love to end with um, a, a half a full of approach, a glass half full story. Um, and it sounds like you probably have a lot of them, um, but give us our audience some, um, uh, you know, some inspiration uh, moving forward, whether from the book or from your district on, um, you know, kind of how this has played out in practice um, and, and has really moved the dial forward in a positive way. Well, I, I guess the, the glass half full is that, you know, for any of the leaders or, or, or folks who are listening to this podcast and saying, Gosh, some of this really does make sense like, to me. I, could, I, I, I think that this makes sense. There has never been a better time in education to be creative and to do things differently. The, the public is screaming for it. And by the public, I mean our teachers, our students, and our, our community at large is screaming for us to get it in a way that we haven't gotten it in, in, in frankly, in quite some time. Um, and so if there's ever an opportunity to explore some new language, to try out some new language and try out a different way of leadership, now would be the time. Now would be the time to strike. And it, it, there's such a great opportunity, especially now coming out of the pandemic. So I'll give it just a practical example of what we're doing you know, right now, this very minute. That is an example of what I've been talking about. Um, you know, we have the, these ESSER funds and, and how to spend the ESSER funds. You could easily say to yourself, oh, this is a complicated thing and I'm going to figure out how to spend the ESSER funds. But what we did is we set aside a little bit of the money and we said to our kids and our teachers, we said to our teachers first, what's something that you've always wanted to teach kids? You just have never had the opportunity to do. And you think that they would love to do it in the summer so much that they would get out of bed five days a week and come in and spend eight hours with you to do it. So we took all those ideas, crowdsourced them, hundreds and hundreds of teachers, lots of ideas. And then we went to the kids and asked the same question. What's something that you would love to do that would get you so excited you get out of bed for eight hours in the summer and come spend five, six weeks with us? And they gave us a whole bunch of ideas. And then all we're doing is we're just matching up genius. We're just That's what we're calling it. Like kids have genius, teachers have genius. Let's match up the genius and see what happens. And it's this grand experiment, but it's totally recognizing the fact that what's the best way to close achievement gaps after two years of the pandemic? I don't know. It's a complex issue. Why don't we ask a bunch of kids and teachers what they think we should do, and then let's 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 give it a try. So that's actually how we're building our summer school program this year. We've had uh, about 300 teachers, give or take, uh, sign on to be a part of the project, and we're gonna we're gonna limit it to a thousand or so kids. Uh, but uh, we're, we've had a ton of interest already, so I, I suspect that we'll be more than a thousand kids by the time it's over. Wow. Uh, first of all, and second of all, I, I have to ask a bonus question. Um, this sounds like a pretty good uh, remediation for burnout. Um, is that something that, that you could talk about and how is that addressed? Because that's such a, a, a big issue for uh, educators and for all of us right now. Absolutely. It, 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 it knocks a bunch of dominoes at the same time. It's closing the learning gap. Obviously, it's keeping you know, folks excited and engaged with their learning. Um, it's, there's a burnout part of it too. Like we're not just going to hammer math and science and math and reading and math and reading and math and reading, but we're going to do fun stuff that kids want to learn. We, we use the language of genius around here. We just like the idea of find your genius, chase your genius type, um, type, type thing. So 
it just it just fit for us. All right. So I think the big takeaway for me today is that language matters um, in, on a number of different levels. And so thank you so much for enlightening our audience and for writing this book. Um, for those of you listening, you can check out the show notes to get uh, a link to either uh, pre-subscribe uh, uh, to getting uh, uh, the book or, depending on when you're listening to us, uh, a link to get the book. Um, but outside of uh, getting the book, how else can our audience connect with you? Uh, thank you, JW, for creating the space and for having this conversation. It means, it means a great deal to me. Um, folks can connect to it if they want to follow me on what I'm like really thinking on a more uh, on a deeper level. It's on LinkedIn. That's where I do most of my, my writing and thinking and, and sharing. Uh, I, I am on Twitter. It's super easy. It's at Q Shepard on Twitter, but uh, LinkedIn is where you find the more leadership oriented stuff that I write about. Perfect. And we'll uh, link to both of those in the show notes as well. Uh, Dr. Shepard, it's been an honor to have you on uh, today and uh, hopefully uh, we'll have you back on uh, later this year to uh, get some updates as, again, this uh, is ever-evolving topic, um, as, uh, as is uh, this school year and next, and probably the next couple. So uh, thank you again for joining us. You bet. Thank you. And to my audience, of course, thank you for joining another episode. Uh, we're so excited that you come and join us every week uh, to learn and to share and to comment and interact with the show. Uh, please check out past episodes on our uh, website or wherever you consume your podcast on a regular basis. And remember to always, always keep learning.